Today we want to continue in our study of Philippians and chapter 1. And just to put us in remembrance, Philippians uh, is simply a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in about 61 AD while he was imprisoned in Rome, which would be about 20 years, excuse me, 28 years after Christ's resurrection and ascension. Uh, the letter was written specifically to Christians, whom he refers to as saints, who were living in Philippi, which is the northern part of Greece. Um, it's about 12 miles inland from Neapolis, which you read about in Acts chapter 16, uh, is a bit of the story of Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, <clears throat> the... the, the Kavala is the name today of Neapolis, and Philippi is just a, a few miles inland. But the city was founded by uh, King Philip in 360 B.C., and then his son Alexander the Great was the ruler of the city following him. And then it was another 450 years later that the Apostle Paul arrives at this city. And it was around 49 AD. At the time when Paul entered the city, it's estimated there were about 10,000 inhabitants in Philippi. And uh, they were mostly all Roman citizens. And that is why that he never really quotes from the Old Testament scriptures as he does in most of his letters, which would pertain to the Jews, because the Jews would understand the Old Testament scriptures. But in Philippi, there were very few, if any, Jews, and there were no Jewish believers, and so Paul did not connect back to the Old Testament scriptures as he did commonly. So in Philippians in chapter 1, let's just read down through and uh, since now we're so close to the very beginning, I'll just read through the beginning verses, make a few comments, and we'll move on and through the rest of the chapter today. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Let's just review real quickly verse 6 in particular. What is the good work in people? And what is its purpose? I think this is a very beautiful, beautiful point within the whole letter that Paul writes. 
What is the good work? You see, every person is created with a God connection. And that's why Paul in Scripture refers to all people as being offspring or children of God. Uh, of course, we have in Genesis, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, it is true that just as in the natural, we have many, many children in our world who do not know uh, their father, for example. Uh, they have no relationship, perhaps have never even met their father, but does that mean that they're not a child? Of course not. They're every bit of a child. They carry his likeness. They carry his traits. They carry his DNA. And so it is true with God. Everybody is made in his image and likeness. God considers, the Apostle Paul certainly considers, that everybody is a child of God. Although there may be many, many people in our world who do not have a relationship with God, the Creator, through Christ Jesus. They may not even believe that he exists, yet they carry his traits and likeness, and God considers them as ones who belong to him, and he has already begun a good work, and he wants them to have their eyes opened that they could behold who he is through the person of Christ, embrace Christ as Lord, and experience the glory of relationship. Colossians 1 15 to 17. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. So if we want to know what God looks like, God looks like Jesus. Jesus came and he is the exact representation. Um, he is the firstborn of creation. Verse 16, for by him, speaking of Christ, all things were created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, material and the immaterial, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. By him, all things consist, one of the versions puts it. Okay? And so everything is held together. Understand that Christ Jesus is forever integrated with all of creation. He created nothing outside of himself. All of creation of the universe is within him. It's within God. He is sovereign. He is supreme. Always has been. Always will be. All things created come out of him, are within him, and connected with him. Christ is eternally connected in union with both the material and the immaterial. We just read it. The visible, the material, the immaterial. All have been created in Christ. All things in the spirit realm that we don't see with the natural eye, okay, is within him. Nothing is outside of him. Now, that's good news, and then it all makes sense and stands the reason why we have the Scriptures even speaking about God restoring all of creation in the very end when all things are brought into subjection to Christ Jesus and are put under his feet. 
kingdoms, powers, rulers of this world, things visible, invisible, all things are subjected to Christ, the eternal judge, okay? And as Ephesians, as Corinthians speaks about that all things will be brought to him, that God may be all in all. Nothing is outside of him. Nothing is beyond his influence. Acts chapter 17, um, <clears throat> I just love this scripture. Um, he says in verse 27 that, oh, that they would seek God, that perhaps they might grope for him, though he's not far from any one of us. And then Paul says, as a matter of fact, I'll even, I'll even bring it down to a living reality. And Paul says, it is actually, guys, in him. He's speaking to philosophers who don't know God. They were making idols to the unknown God. And Paul says, let me tell you about him. He's not far from, as a matter of fact, he's so close that it's in him. Specific words, the Apostle Paul, which is consistent with all of his writings. In him we live, in him we move. It's in God, through Christ, that we have our very existence. And that's all 8 billion people and all that have ever lived and will come. It's so beautiful. Christ Jesus will not, cannot separate himself from creation. He wouldn't be God if he did. He will not, he cannot. That's the nature of love. And all of creation will be restored. Everything that has been marred by evil. And so when he says that he will begin a good work in us, what is that about? The good work in us is the shaping of God-likeness within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the shaping of the God-likeness. It's so essential. And that shaping begins even while we're still in the womb. But tell you when it really comes a powerful living reality is when the blindness of our eyes is opened and we behold Christ. And when we embrace Christ and experience the salvation of the Lord, watch out world, <laughs> because now that which was in seed form, in incorruptible seed form, now begins to grow at accelerated rate and we become Christ-like. I've uh, <clears throat> have always been amazed at and, and have observed closely over the years uh, individuals who may not have an awareness at a particular point in their life um, of God, may not even necessarily believe in God, but yet I can stand and watch God at work. And then to sit over coffee one day, and they're exclaiming to me, wow, something really happened. You know, several years back, this happened. I know it had to be it had to be something else. It wasn't me. It wasn't any person. I can't explain it, but I felt something. I heard a voice. I had this encounter. I've listened to these stories so many dozens and dozens of times. I just I just my heart gets filled with joy. You know what's going on? It's the work of the Holy Spirit beginning to shape the heart, to shape their thinking. And bring them to a place of the opening of the eyes that they may experience the salvation of the Lord. But he's been working all along. 
That is the nature. That's the only way that any one of us can be saved. Is God's been working a whole long time before we have the aha moment. He sets us up. He makes divine arrangements and connects us with the right people at the right place in the right time so that we can um, experience him. Every person, I believe, is in process of becoming godlike. And as I said, is that once our eyes are open to the extent where we recognize Christ as the way and the key to our salvation and we embrace him as Lord of our lives, I mean, we're fast-tracking it now. We've already been influenced by him and by his spirit, but now we have the Holy Spirit just like active, full-on active, active in our lives. And so <clears throat> what is God looking for? in our hearts and in minds. What's he looking for? All along, he's just simply looking for the yes. The yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Yes and amen, not only to his promises, but to his initiations. Now, Paul is writing, and let's go to verse 8 here, because he's writing to the Philippians. And Paul, having been there two times already before he writes this letter, he, he was able to witness the workings of God in these people's life, having led some of them to an encounter to the salvation with Christ. He says now in verse 8, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now keep in mind, Paul is in prison. And it's like his heart is like for these people. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So Paul has this close, affectionate relationship. Paul talks about praying for them. What does that mean? He says he literally talks to God about them. You know, hey, these are my friends. God, I pray your blessing upon them. Protect them. Keep them safe. Cause their hearts to, to just, you know, draw closer to you. Probably something along that line. And uh, he, he wants them just to keep growing. And... These, those prayers of Paul's were a part of the reason of their growth, just as our prayers are very, very essential and important. We are partners with God in the development of other people's lives. One, we can be directly involved through prayer, even if you don't know the other person. God can use us through just by the promptings of the Holy Spirit to come into agreement with God's heart for the ongoing work and development of another person that we may have never met. Isn't that amazing? You know how far reaching your, you, you may say, oh, but I only know a few hundred people. You know, my influence isn't, isn't very strong. Are you kidding? Through prayer, you can have influence on thousands of people whole communities of people, nations. 
Because prayer is simply is responding to the heart of, heart of God and prompting. You all know what I mean. How many times? Let me just ask you this week. Anybody, just as you were going about life this week, just feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray for someone that you hardly know, you, very, you don't know well at all? Anyone? Oh, yeah, I've seen numerous hands. Isn't that cool? So you are in partnership with God this week when you simply pray for somebody. I have it happen like you guys do when I'm driving down the street. I just feel prompted just to speak a word of blessing and to pray for somebody. Say, oh, God, just work in their heart. And, and, and whatever it is, that person is just troubled about. Not even necessarily do I see that they're troubled, but I just sense that maybe they're going through a tough time, see? Or maybe somebody's really having a happy day, and they're on the corner just bebopping on the corner. It's like, oh, give her more, Lord. We bless her. May she come to the fullest realization of her salvation through Christ Jesus. Embrace Christ as Lord. And you declare salvation over the person. We get to participate. So Paul here is talking about that their love would grow more and more. Now think about this. Love is so much more than a feeling, right? We all know this, okay? Love is the central quality within all human beings. God is love. We're made in his image and likeness. So every human that is created and is being developed within the womb and is born into this world, okay, carries the love factor. It's just in them. It's in every little infant. They're able to respond to love express. They're able to be then at some point begin to express love in different ways through smiles, through touch, uh, through words eventually, and then through different kinds of actions. It's naturally within every person. But it's got to be developed and expanded, right? And so that's our, that's our wonderful privilege in parenting is to how to lovingly draw out the what? The love factor and the likeness of God. Right? So the parenting thing isn't about just teaching them what not to do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Of course, if we love them, we have to set certain boundaries for their safety, physically, mentally, emotionally, etc. Okay? But what we're wanting to do is to draw out that God-likeness, that God-trait within them. God is the center of all being in the universe. He's the center of all being. He is love, which is the very essence of who God is. Love is not just one facet of his being. It's so important that we get this. If we treat love as a commodity, we come up with short in becoming all that God has called us to be. You can improve your life if you see love as a commodity that you want to um, kind of quantify and partake in. I mean, that doesn't hurt you, but you can't become everything that God's called you to be, the person he's called you to be, until begin to grasp the revelation that love is not a, a, um, a commodity. Love is the essence of God and his likeness in you. 
And that's why Paul says, I want you to, to grow more and more and more in love. Now, God is God, therefore he is the essence of all being, and he, his development is not in process. But we humans, we are in process, right? And that's why Paul says, I've got confidence that he who started this work and process of development, he's going to bring it to, uh, to fullness within our lives. You got to look in the mirror and go, that's encouraging. How many of you ever had one of those days where you're like, I don't know, doesn't feel like I'm making a lot of process, progress in this process of development. <laughs> had a little setback. <laughs> Be confident, even as God is confident, Paul was confident, we can have confidence in each other. See, this is how we can encourage one another by being confident, finding God's perspective and saying, I'm confident that God who began a good work in you, he's just going to keep developing you so beautifully. You're just like this beautiful summer rose just beginning to unfold in all of your glory. Love is the central reality of our world. It's what holds the world together. Thank God, in the midst of evil in our world, thank God that he is love and that his love attributes are within humanity. Sometimes they get covered up and masked over by evil. We can become partakers of the influencing spirits of darkness and not even realize it and pretty soon our thinking our behavior becomes mass it masks over the very core of who we really have been created to be but thank god for the holy spirit that helps us to realize that that's where praying for one another is so important that we can pray for God's love through Christ Jesus and just to become the prominent factor of your heart, of your life. And that is so huge in our parenting too. If we just remind kids of all of what they shouldn't do, they, have, they grow up with a distorted image even of God and themselves. And sometimes we need to remind, this isn't acceptable, that's not appropriate. But what they should hear about at least 10 times more often is about, you know what? God's in you. God's love is in you. I see God working in you. I see kindness. That's a God-like trait in you. And we speak to the God-likeness within a child, and guess what? What they focus on is what will develop. If you call a child a brat, he then will live up to what you've named him to be. Act bratty, whatever all that means. But you know what I'm talking about. And I, I, I see it, it can happen. You get into this cycle and it's very detrimental to the development of a child in bringing out the God likeness. 
So <clears throat> this is how God works with us. Sometimes we need to be corrected as Christians who are in process, right? How many of you ever had God bring a little correction? Don't you? Three of us. Those three who raised your hand, don't you think the others need it too? But sometimes he does it in ways and works through other people in ways that it's like, I didn't really like how that came about. Okay, God, I recognize that you love me so much that any good father will bring correction. And you're my father. Thank you for your correction. Do you know love can be measured in our lives? You know one of the best ways that we know how if we're growing more and more in love? is that, you see, love is tested when there's tension and conflict in relationship, right? It's easy to love that person who's so lovable. You know, some people just easy to love, right? At least most of the time, right? Until they do something totally disappoints you. It's like, I can't believe this. That person was the most amazing person in the world, and, and now they said this, you know, in, in your heart. See, we get tested. But where there's a deficiency of love in our hearts, and if that is allowed to continue, then we begin to give in to the influence of evil that begin to bring an erosion and rob us of the beauty and the glory of Christ within us. Yeah, I'm talking about as ones who have embraced Christ and are followers of Christ. Fear, which gives way to evil, can be overcome by love encounters with God directly and indirectly through other people. Love is about giving preference and honors to others. And so Paul is just saying, I want you guys to grow more and more. Well, we need Christ to be center, the Lord of our lives. And that's why we, every day, we pray to God and say, God, here's my heart. Cleanse my heart. You know, forgive me if there's anything in me. And I, I want to receive your forgiveness so that I can grow. Verse 11, what is the fruit of righteousness? Well, Paul makes it very clear it comes from Christ Jesus. It's based on his work through the cross and the resurrection where he deals with the sin of humanity. So my righteousness doesn't come by trying so hard just to get over this bad habit and trying so hard not to hate but love, okay? He has already made us righteous in Christ, even though our behavior may not align with it. That's where we come and say, oh, God, thank you for your forgiveness. I yield to your love, your life, and your righteousness. May the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, may, may, may that be the most predominant things of my heart. We could talk more about that on another day. Verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And the most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So here's Paul. He's being in prison now for simply sharing the gospel. And um, <clears throat> he was not treated well. But God was using it. Remember, God wastes nothing. 
And Paul caught this early on. Because sometimes when stuff happens in our lives, we're falsely accused, etc., we can then feel like, oh no, it's kind of like feels like the end of my world. My world just caved in. And sometimes we need to encourage ourselves and one another. You know what? God can and will work even in the midst of this painful situation. Wasn't right. Okay? Wasn't designed by God. It wasn't God's plan. It's simply there's evil in the world. Stuff happens to us and stuff happens to other people that are very painful at times and very, very uh, heart-wrenching. But somehow Paul, by the grace of God, as within our lives, we can find hope in the midst of uh, the fog. We can find hope in the midst of the pain and say, God, you're going to keep working because you don't waste anything. Verse 15, Paul says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, this section of the letter, it seems a little vague to us who are reading it here. Apparently, though, um, or let me, let me put it this way. I have a hunch that it was very clear to the saints at Philippi. They knew what he was talking about, the circumstances, and they probably had faces in mind as they were reading the letter. Paul just didn't name them. And maybe he personally didn't know the name because maybe this referred to some individuals he heard about or a group of people who had impure motives. They may have been gloating over the fact that Paul's in prison and now we can just go in the city and we're going to go, of course, in the name of Christ and preach the good news. But there's some mixed motives of the heart. Selfish ambition. Wow, not much has changed in 2,000 years because that can still happen today, right? It can still happen and does happen today. And so <clears throat> Paul um, addresses it. And then he says in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed and I rejoice in this. So Paul said, even if Christ is proclaimed and it's coming through people that have an impure heart, the motives aren't right, you know, but it's like, okay, but Christ is still being proclaimed. The attitudes of the heart may not be right, may not be honorable towards Paul or other people. Selfish ambition may be there, but it's not like God's hands are going to be tied if God's hands were to be tied every time that we have wrong attitudes and everything, God could never get anything done, right? <laughs> he still works through us even when we're, well, out of kilter. We're, we're not balanced. We don't have a, a pure motives. He can still work through us. Now, what happens, though, with us, that's our challenge now, Right? If we sense somebody doesn't have a pure heart or pure motive in something, oh, we can get all ruffled over that. Or just like reject. That's probably not a good response. What well, would probably be wiser is say, he's still working on me. And I thank you, he's still working on him too. We're all in process 
of being shaped in the likeness of God. And what it is, sometimes we can't see our own stuff, right? But I can. No, I mean, <laughs> I can't see my own stuff sometimes. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But my wife thinks she can. And she does sometimes. I don't always like hearing it from her. But I do at heart. I just like, okay. All right, hurry up and say it. Let's get this over with. <laughs> and you know what? That's the way our relationships ought to be. We ought to be real enough and genuine enough that we can share. But we should invite it. Okay, there's going to be a whole line after the service now, honey. I can feel it coming because I'm inviting you to come share. <laughs> and I say, I actually, sincerely. And then if you do, I'm going to go, why did I say that? <laughs> Just bring a little encouragement with it. Okay. Help me a little bit with it. So you know what Paul is saying? Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that all of this situation will turn out from my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, get this, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body. Think about this. He's imprisoned. He's getting old. He'd been beaten numerous times, shipwrecked, probably had a lot of pain in his body, probably could have used a hip replacement, a knee replacement, a shoulder replacement or whatever. That wasn't going to happen. His body probably is physically hurting. He's weary for sure. But Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, Paul here introduces, I don't know that he introduces, but he highlights to the Philippian saints about the glory of the Christian in death. There is glory. It's not the end. It just puts us in another into another phase for the ongoing work of God. And so Paul recognizes life's pain and difficulties are temporal. I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He talks that, he says, these light afflictions work for an eternal weight of glory. And you're going, yeah, I guess Paul must have had it pretty easy. Most of us haven't experienced some of the at least the physical pain of being beaten and rejected and all, uh, in, in the ways that he was. I mean, we all have our own stuff, our pain, you know. So I wouldn't say that his was worse, but it was in a different way anyhow. But he, he, he somehow, he tries to encourage the Corinthian church that it's temporal. Now, now here's joy in the journey. Let me declare this. Joy in the journey was Paul's expectation and became his experience. Joy in the journey was Paul's expectation and his experience. I wonder if it was his experience because of his expectation. 
You know, I think very well we could get that. Now let's go to verse 20. Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for, labor for me. I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy on the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ through my coming to you. What does Paul mean when he says to live is Christ? Here's the essence of, of, of what he's trying to communicate. My life is wrapped up in Christ. I am consumed to honor my Lord, to live for my Lord, to have him live and move in and through my life. And I am passionate in my calling to help other people discover the spiritual freedom that they can have by embracing Jesus Christ. He says, I have no greater purpose on earth than to be in Christ and express Christ and to live for him. So what does he mean about to die is gain? Is Paul depressed? Is he looking for a way out? Is he like, I can't deal with this anymore? He, he's not talking about the act of dying, by the way. He's talking about the state of death. The act of dying may be peaceful or it could be very painful. Both happen. People experience it every day. Sometimes very peaceful death, the process of death itself. Sometimes very painful, okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the state of being after death. What does that look like? Do humans just, are they just extinguished? You know, most religions of the world, and certainly Christianity, believe that we consist of a, we have a body, but we have a spirit and soul. And the soul and the spirit live on. And so, what we can gather, we don't have a lot of dissertation on this in Scripture. Actually, very little. But what we can gather is, is that when we die, we go into this intermediate state, if you will, or holding place until the time that Christ returns and we are raised with a spiritual body. Those who are in Christ, those who have this vitalized relationship with Christ upon death, go into a place of holding, but it's a place of tranquility and peace. That's why we say, rest in peace. It's a place of rest and peace. No more pain, no more struggle. It's a place of peace. And then when Christ returns, we see this in Scripture, all will be raised to life. And it'll be a spiritual body. A spiritual body apparently like Christ's body, where he could appear and disappear at will. He could be here one moment, another moment could be across town and appear behind closed doors because it won't be made of the same 
material and matter that our bodies are, that we have now. We'll all have one of those spiritual bodies. But the spiritual body can manifest itself in the form of a human body, which is what Jesus did in the upper room after the resurrection. And the doors were closing. He appears into the room and even told Thomas, he said, hey, touch my side. It's me. Okay. So apparently we will have this body. Oh, and, and Jesus ate down by the sea. He ate fish for breakfast with, uh, was it Peter and, well, it was at least Peter was there. I forget how so the other disciples were there. And, and, and such. I see Acts 24, 15 says, there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. John 5, 29. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. So all people will be resurrected. And then we go into the place of judgment. Now, I know that we're, as soon as you bring judgment, we think of earthly judges who are there to nail you for little every little infraction, and you're going to pay a price. The correctiveness of God. There's a couple different words in Scripture used for judge or for for um, um, uh, punishment, and it'd be a punishment in the form of correction. Colossus is the Greek word that is used for that. And then there was another. There's another word that's used for punishment, where it's a vengeful thing. Man, you deserve this. You're going to be nailed, buddy, because of what you did. But whenever we have the scripture about the, the punishment in the context of judgment, it's, it's about correction. And so if any of us need it, Paul said, as far as I know, he said, I think it's okay now, but I know I'm not innocent. In other words, in any given moment, because we don't always see our stuff. We don't always know 100%. So as far as we know, hey, our hearts are like, you may say right now, my, my heart is right before God. And it may be 100%, even from God's perspective, see? But maybe not. But the point is, is that we want to experience this. Well, what is Paul saying here in all of this? We'll get off of the particulars here. He's saying um, to die is gain. He said, on one hand, for me personally, it's kind of an advantage for me to die right now. I don't have to deal with all the stuff. Uh, my body hurts, the rejections, being in prison. He said, I just go and be in peace and tranquility. But what did he just say? We read it. But he said, for your sakes, for your sakes, it's better that I live so I can keep encouraging you and I can keep giving you hope. My own father, in his latter years, when he was in such horrific pain, terrible pain, just writhed in pain because of a situation and a surgery that didn't go right. And um, he was like, why am I even alive? I've lived a good life and a life. I just want to go home and be with the Lord. I don't even want to be here. And so we had a chat about that as well as some of my siblings and, 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 and mom with him as well. And what we would try to do is to empathize because none of us had experienced the searing, agonizing pain um, that, that he had ever experienced. So you can't fully like relate with it, you know, um, unless a guy's been there. So, but we did try to help him know the blessing that he is even around and even if he's in pain we're so sorry for the pain dad that you're feeling 
But as long as God gives you breath, you have purpose. And part of your purpose is it's meaningful to us. You know, you just being here and you still carry wisdom of all of your life experience and stuff like that. And so as the pain lessens begin to heal over months and such that way, then a new sense of purpose be gradually begin to kind of re-emerge, okay? Because he was kind of like Paul and betwixt. I, I, I would rather die than to live like with all this restriction. He couldn't move, couldn't even get himself around, just was all but, all but helpless, you know? And, and so I'd rather die. For him, it would have been gain to die. See what I'm saying? On the other hand, you know, God still continued to let give him breath for another few years after that season. And then he began to recognize, well, for you guys, I guess, cool. Okay, so I'm here. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to be a blessing. Let's read the last few verses here. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you for all of your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ through my coming and seeing you again. Joy in the journey, knowing our values. You know, we do not realize the depth and breadth of our value to God and to uh, others in our world. Um, or if we don't, what would the result be? If we didn't know, we would live as we please. We would become self-centered and lacking consideration of how our lives affect other people. But when we know our significant value to God who created us, then we become interested in and concerned with how we live. This is a huge point. If Let, let me just drop this line right here. I, I, I've, I've, sat, I've sat with this, these scenarios many, many times where somebody had got, had, was derailed. Life wasn't going well. They had become totally consumed with self and life got really super messy, ugly, etc. Okay? So what's the solution to someone who's in that state? I'm having coffee. I'm having breakfast or lunch with a guy in this state. How well do you think it would work if I began to admonish him and all the mistakes he made along the way? And why this wasn't good. Absolutely ridiculous. You know what? You know what a person needs to hear in that time? They need to know their value to God. It's the only thing that will release hope and faith and love and begin to bring healing and a turning about to know their value. If we don't know our value to God, we lack the sensitivity, care, and concern to how our lives affect other people. The solution isn't punishment. That doesn't do anything. Because he wants to transform us from the inside out. We need a word of hope. What does our world need? What are the people in the world? You hear it on the news every day. Crimes are committed, etc. 
So many people don't know their worth and value to the Lord, their creator, their God. And so they buy into the lies of the enemy and become consumed with self. Greed. Don't even care about other people. Lose sensitivity, feelings, consideration. What's the answer? The answer is prayer, imparting hope so that they know their value. So questions to consider as we, my last minute here, is my thinking and attitude honoring to God who made me in his image and likeness? Is the way I live and conduct my life bring honor to God in my family? Is my life an illustration of the best me that I was created to be or to created to become? And in this context, Paul wraps it up. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, that too from God. For to you it is being granted for Christ's sake to not only believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake, experiencing the conflict that you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul simply wants these saints to realize that joy in the journey is directly connected to knowing our value to God and to other people. And when we catch that, we become mindful of how we live.